0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, on this Christmas Eve, uh, Saturday, December 25th, 2021. I hope everyone's having a wonderful evening uh, with their family and friends, uh, little ones and whatnot. Uh, it's definitely a very special time of year, and, uh, and I wish you guys all the best. So yesterday, I was talking to you all about my version of Canada's most incredible adventures and uh, I love the places that I was telling you so much so that uh, I had plenty of time to just keep going and going and so I went much longer on each destination that I was sharing about because I love them so. So I didn't have time to share all the destinations that I thought are the best and most incredible adventures to take in Canada according to your show host Roberto. So I'm going to keep on uh, going with uh, the next destination I had, which is Panorama Ridge. Panorama Ridge in Garibaldi Provincial Park is one of the most spectacular and beautiful places to explore in Canada. It's a provincial park and uh, part of the park includes Joffrey Lakes National Park. Well, technically on the edge of Joffrey Lakes National Park, but but I think actually Joffrey Lakes is included in the provincial park. And um, and it's got this panorama ridge overlooking the bluest, most picturesque lake that you ever have seen in your life. Now, it's normally an 11.3 uh, kilometer hike to do the Caribaldi Lake Trail. And this takes you just to the lake. But what I recommend doing and what I consider as one of the most incredible adventures in Canada is to do the hike to Panorama Ridge, which is a 30 kilometer Round trip hike. But when you get to the top of the ridge and you're overlooking this blue as can be lake crowned by a jewel of mountains all around, you will be absolutely in awe. You have 360 degree views of the mountain range all around you. You have the Black Tusk behind you, which is iconic for those living in the Cedar Sky in the Whistler area. And it's definitely a hike that you want to do between late July. And early September. Now, many people say, "Well, it's just you know, 15 kilometers just to get up there, and then 15 back." And yes, it can be done in a day. But the best way to do it is to uh, go up to Taylor Meadows, and which is about 12 kilometers in, I believe, and then leave your your heavy packs there and do the rest as a day hike up to the ridge. Now, I've got a few stories about us going onto the ridge. Uh, one time was in April and the, the ridge was still full of snow and we were camped on the ridge. Um, normally, yes, no, you should not camp on in these spots. But in wintertime, frankly put, nobody cares because there are very few people that go up there in wintertime anyhow. So uh, and safety is, is the most important thing. So So if camping on the ridge was the safest thing, That you could do because of the situation and the conditions and the fatigue that you had then so be it and that's my opinion on that (laughs) but uh, my lady and I uh, were camped on the ridge and we were going to camp much higher but we were exhausted and it was getting really late at night and the slope was getting really icy and we didn't hadn't brought our crampons so it would have made it pretty difficult to go up to that that peak of the mountain um, to, to camp there so what we ended up doing was um, camping on on the panorama ridge and um, on the ridge line below it and we had the northern lights shining like crazy we had them in hues of pink and red and it's definitely one of the most uh, unique uh, northern lights that I've seen because it's very rare to see the northern lights in those other colors as I've explained before Regarding the northern lights, it's that when you uh, when the northern lights hit our atmosphere, um, they tend to be directed to the poles and based on which level of the atmosphere the Solar winds are interacting with you get different colors. And so I believe red was oxygen um, and, and it's just very rare to have them hit at that level. So having these pink hues of northern lights was really quite spectacular. And one of the neatest pictures that we took on that ridge, uh, we were actually camped near Taylor Meadows on a different night, um, and it was so hot because it was spring that that we while we were trying to make our way through the snow, we would just sink up to our knees because we hadn't brought our snowshoes. So if you're going on the shoulder seasons, do make sure... Uh, to bring to bring some snowshoes, but it was so hot that day that even though everything was covered in snow, we were in t-shirts uh, doing doing this hike. And uh, we take uh, we've taken lots of friends uh, up to Panorama Ridge, and everybody that's been there, uh, their jaw just absolutely drops when they see the view. Now, there's two times of day that you want to hit the ridge, uh, particularly sunrise or sunset. And and either of these will give you uh, spectacular views. Now, obviously, be very careful if you do decide to camp on the higher up sections because uh, the weather can be very, very fickle. And if you were to do this hike, I would recommend uh, definitely go up to the ridge, get the spectacular views, maybe camp a night at Taylor Taylor Meadows. And then you can go down and camp at Garibaldi, Garibaldi Lake. Um, but this this view of Garibaldi Lake is one of the most spectacular I've ever seen, and uh, it definitely makes it near the top of my list for my version of Canada's most incredible adventures. Now, um, the Canadian Rockies are are a given that, that that's one of the areas of Canada that I highly recommend everybody goes to. We tend to go at least once or twice a year. Now, the best way to do the Canadian Rockies is if, if you rent a camper van, because you pick it up in Calgary and then you head to Banff and then you do what's called the Icefields Parkway, which is hands down one of the most um, impressive uh, drives that you'll ever be on. Uh, You definitely feel like you're in the land before time. Um, The mountains are jagged, impressive. The lakes are hues of emerald and there's so much to do on that, uh, that corridor. So so definitely um, if you have the opportunity to either with some friends or or alone uh, to rent a camper van, uh, I recommend for those coming from abroad, Canadream. Uh, It's a company that we've been we've used in the past before we got our Airstream and uh, and it's definitely set the stage for wanting to explore uh, Alberta so much more in, in this way. Um, oftentimes we like to go in september or 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 at the beginning of spring because these are the times of year uh, where there tends to be less people, and so you have a lot of the parks where you uh, where you go to to yourself and you drive through yoho National Park uh, if you 're coming from the b c area uh, but if you 're not you 're doing the Calgary route, uh, then you start with Banff in Banff you obviously will go check out Lake Louise, highly recommended. And Moraine Lake, which is one of the spots that I'm going to talk to you as, as my version of uh, Canada's Most Incredible Adventures. Now, um, now this is a trip that, that you definitely don't want to miss upon. Um, you'll see elk, moose, black bear, um, and all sorts of, of beautiful vistas. Uh, on the drive, there's also a stop called Peyto Lake, which is, uh, has been taken by every Instagrammer <laughs> as well and uh, and it's a view that is just draw-dropping. My intention uh, in, on a future trip is to portage a canoe uh, in and onto the lake and do some adventures on it uh, for the next time. But if you can rent a camper, do this, this trip. I highly, highly recommend. And there's actually, I had mentioned on my previous podcast of uh, Most Incredible Adventures, you also have The uh, Maline Lake, which is the one I was telling you with the crown of mountains that's in Jasper. So if you begin in uh, in Calgary, head over through Banff, uh, drive all the way to Jasper, and then you hit up all of these different spots that are definitely some of Canada's best gems and uh, places to explore. Another one, uh, which is part of this, you could call it as being part of this trip or as a separate, is Moraine Lake. Now, Moraine Lake is visited by tons and tons of tourists and obviously with Instagram and social media more and more have been going all the time Um, but there's ways to do it a little bit differently and and that for me is going uh, in September particularly middle to the end of the month before the parks that section is actually going to close because you can have one of the most unique views when it snows but the ice hasn't frozen so you get this really blue blue lake um, and then all around it a cover a fresh cape of white snow now another thing about this is that you can't rent boats or kayaks or canoes. you can't rent canoes at that time of the year um, so what makes it even more special is if you bring your own vessel we always take our own canoe and kayaks um, and we often go at that time of year so I definitely recommend that that you bring your own boat uh, go at that time of year and if possible it's very expensive but stay one night at least at Moraine Lake Lodge. I think it's about $900 a night, Canadian. So that's probably about $750 US. But it, one of the things about this hotel, and I think it's definitely one of the hotels that I most like in the world, is that it's location, 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 where you can walk down early in the morning and see the mist rolling over these three jagged mountains that overlook Moraine Lake while you dip your paddle Uh, gliding through this glassy like lake with nobody else on it. Because even though there might be tourists, you won't, you don't necessarily at this time of year, you don't have anybody on the water. So you have it to yourself. Uh, apologies if there's any sound in the excess background, but, uh, I do have three little children that don't always let me get along on my podcast. Um, Moraine Lake Lodge, highly recommend Moraine Lake. Uh, you've probably seen the picture, even when I go to the ATM for the bank, I think for Royal Bank, the picture in the background is Moraine Lake uh, with the jagged peaks. So uh, it's definitely a very recognizable spot. One of the most beautiful lakes that I've ever seen, albeit it's very small, but that doesn't take away any of its beauty. There's a fantastic hike that you can do from the lake as well that brings you up high into the mountains. Um, to to the ridgeline, and it's a very easy hike, so I can highly recommend that as well. If you do it in September, you've got what's called the larches, which are these like pine trees that turn golden at this time of year, which makes makes a very impressive view, kind of like the fall colors of eastern Canada and Quebec, except with their own western flair of having, um, being pine trees that turn golden, kind of like a fire tree. So that's that's a spot to go up to. We've hiked up before um, when it was a little bit icy and it could be a bit precarious. So you could bring, uh, if it is icy at the end of September, bring those little uh, studded uh, crampons, not crampons, but little studs that you can put as an elastic on the bottom of your shoe. That would be very helpful. We got that those conditions only to have two days later blasting sun and everything melted away and it was easily hikeable but as you're going up to elevation do take into account it gets cold quite quickly so uh so remember to bring warm clothes you know i always like to tell people that uh that at the beginning of a hike or at the beginning of a paddling session when everything looks rosy and dozy and the sun is out and everybody's warm uh is always very deceiving uh because you think oh well it's probably going to stay like this for the rest of the time but it's much you'll be a much happier adventurer or camper Uh, if you have nice warm clothes so that when the weather does change very quickly on you, as you get up on elevation, uh, you'll be content because uh, cold feet most definitely don't make for a happy camper. Now, the next one on my list, uh, I'll have you pull up a map if you're close to your iPad or your phone or your computer. And if you look at a map of Canada, um, and go all the way to the eastern side of Canada to the big province of Quebec. Uh, This is my old province where I was born and raised and and the province that led me to love canoe camping and kayak camping. And I mentioned on the last podcast that if you're coming to eastern Canada, I most definitely recommend that you go on a canoe trip uh, as a paddling experience as one of the most incredible adventures to do in Canada because it is quintessentially Canadian uh, and really something quite spectacular to do. So, if you pull up a map of Quebec and you'll see it's a giant province. We have a purported three million bodies of water on uh, on the, the whole province. So that's I think they said it was three percent of all uh, renewable water resources in the world. But anyways, if you're looking at a map of uh, of Quebec uh, and and just, I'd say, if you head north from, from Quebec City for about, let's see, that looks like it would be about 400 kilometers or so. And a little bit to the right, you'll, a little bit to the east, you'll see a ring body of water. And it's shaped like exactly like a crater had hit there. And indeed, they did say that they believed that the dinosaurs were wiped out by the asteroid that hit this crater, but uh, some few million years ago. But indeed they found later on that they don't think it was, but uh, there's some debate there. Again, this was a a long time ago. Oh, my cousin just texted saying, I'm on the map looking at the places. Thank you, Uh, Rebecca, really appreciate that. (laughs) Uh, Now this adventure on this map, the eye, it's called the Eye of Quebec. And obviously because it looks like the shape of an eye. Um, and it's a big ring of water that they've made into a reservoir as well of water for a hydro dam. Um, but you can go kayak camp on it. You can go canoe camp on it. Um, there's, uh, We've done it in summer, and it's one of the most memorable kayak trips that I've ever gone on. And uh, so the Eye of Quebec is actually known as Um, And preferably in summer to go. I'll tell you about our winter adventures there. Uh, they've got long sandy beaches and wood that's just comes up on the shorelines all over the place um, and this wood what's great about this type of wilderness camping uh, is that you're in such an extremely remote area of canada that if you want to have a as big a bonfire as you want uh, nobody will say otherwise because a there's plenty of wood b it's on the beach c it's super safe uh, and d it's a quintessentially canadian to have your bonfire on a kayak trip. Now, it wasn't perhaps the greatest idea of mine when uh, I told my two friends, uh, Shireen and Wangsu, why don't we go sea kayak on this lake? We'd been there in summer, obviously, and done an expedition, but why don't we go do it in November? And in November, when we happened to get there, we had to wait a few days before we could actually get on the water because of a snowstorm and when we finally did find a window of opportunity to get on the water it was minus 25 celsius now you're wondering well how can you be kayaking in minus 25 celsius wouldn't the water freeze but the water doesn't freeze on these bodies of water early on in the season because they're big enough and wide enough that the movement of the water keeps the ice, uh, fr- the water from free- freezing early on. So it takes a much longer, colder snap for that to happen. So in November, you can have extremely cold weather, but at the same time still be able to paddle. So we're on day, day one of this paddling experience. And now imagine that as you're paddling, the water that's dripping down your paddle, it's so cold that it freezes instantly. Or the water that would hit our dry suits, I thought it was pretty cool. My friends, not so much. <laughs> but the water hits your dry suit and instantly it becomes these little light icicles. I thought it was pretty cool. And uh, and so it just gives you an idea that, that how cold it was. Now, part of the neat thing about the water freezing so fast is that you kind of feel dry in your dry suit versus feeling damper or colder uh, because the, the air is just so, so freezing. So... So we land uh, to our camp spot, and uh, on the third day, and then the storm comes in, and it's just gale force winds. There's no way that we're going to be able to to get on the water that day. Obviously, we're quite worried about we, that we crossed to the other side of the lake, so it would be quite dangerous to try crossing back uh, at that point. So we waited a day or two to see if the weather would get better, and it didn't, and it didn't. So Finally, we decided, you know, we got to make it back. Uh, maybe this wasn't such a great idea. Uh, the water would be absolutely lethal. If any of us tip into the water, we would pretty much die within the next five minutes, um, particularly because the air wind is so, the, the, uh, the wind is so cold. And so we decided, OK, we need to cross from the other shore, the interior part of the island, back to the shoreline of the other side in order to be closer to where we had started. And on our kayaking back, my friend at the time knew that that my focus on keep was on keeping my girlfriend, now my wife, uh, alive. So when we're in harrowing situations like that, he's pretty much on his own while I'm trying to take care of her. And uh, and in this case, I we just couldn't see him anymore, and so we assumed that it was possible that he had tipped and that he was dead. Um, so that added to the intensity of the crossing that we were doing not knowing where our companion had disappeared to and as we're getting closer to shore uh, the waves got bigger and bigger and it was getting just more harrowing uh, shireen was crying obviously absolutely petrified at the situation we were in i was trying to guide her with telling her uh, break left break right in your sea kayak um and on i see this giant wave go towards her and i in my mind, we're only about 40, 50 meters from shore there. But in my mind, I could see the wave was going to tip her and that that was going to be the end of that relationship <laughs> very quickly. Uh, and and unfortunately, the end of that life. Um, but she's, you know, at that time, we were still somewhat early in our kayaking days, uh, middle, middle of the road, I'd say. And uh, and she made it. Uh, They didn't tip her. And I was like, wow, I have no idea how you held your kayak up at that point. But it wasn't the time to have that uh, conversation because we made it to shore and landed. And obviously she was hyperventilating and and just absolutely petrified because if any of us tipped in that water, uh, we die. And when I saw that wave going uh, towards her, I I assumed, "Okay, I'm going to have to jump in. Uh, to save her, and the reality is that likely neither of us uh, would have made it. So at this point, we get to shore. Uh, she's crying, and, and I, I get all the gear and the kayak up on the shore, and we're looking around, and where's our buddy Wang Su? And we can't see him anywhere and the waves are furious and just as we see this giant wave go up just as it descends that's when we see his happy bobbing face which didn't look so happy at that moment uh, just focused on paddling towards us and he didn't have a dry suit on that day so when he did land next to us we were overjoyed that he had made it but his feet were frozen, so before I could do anything, we got him out of the kayak and we, Shireen and I, started rubbing his feet as hard as we could with our hands to get some uh, feeling back into it because he had just been wearing these neoprene booties that were definitely under part. You know, you gotta take into account that in the early days of adventure, you use whatever gear you find, and that's kind of part of the learning curve. About learning any new sport is that you go with what you have, and as you get better or uh, more experienced, you know what the right gear to take is, so we rubbed his feet, rubbed his feet, we got pitched the tent and uh and this is bear territory, and although at that time they they were starting to get go into their dens, although from Hmm, excuse me, from a previous podcast, I've mentioned that they don't, uh, they don't actually just go to sleep, they're they are kind of in a slumber, so you could wake, wake one up, but, uh, but I, I threw caution to the wind, and we made hamburgers in the vestibule of the tent, uh, stinking up the tent, but really that was more, that moment was more about getting energy in all of our bodies, uh, and knowing that we were all okay, and then for a few days after that, uh, we were We were still stranded on on the shoreline and I tried a few different things. I thought, you know, I got to get my friends out of this situation. So I'm going to take a kayak. I'm going to fill it with gear. I'm going to ferry it across the bay. Then I'm going to leave the kayak there. I'm going to hike back and then do this all over again. But in the hiking back, I would sink knee to chest deep in snow. So it was absolutely impractical and impossible to do it that way. So I was quickly rebuffed by my idea. Uh, and, and went back and I was getting quite, uh, anxious myself because I was wondering, how are we going to get out of this situation that I just put, uh, my friend and my lady in? And, uh, and in the end we came up with what's, what I guess comes down to being a pretty genius idea where we strapped the three kayaks together to make like a pack raft and we put Shireen's kayak in the middle and then myself and once on the outside and we tied it with lines going all across, across. The three boats now the, this created a super super stable raft that we could take in bigger waves and albeit much slower, head back to where we had left uh, the truck and This is how we made our way back and the the lines of uh, on our uh, of rope that were going between our kayaks were literally frozen instantly every time a wave touched them, and that 's how cold it was. So I'll be posting in the next few days uh, some of these pictures from this kayaking trip uh, on our social media, and so you can get a vivid image of of what it is that I'm talking about. And this is one of the most incredible adventures to be had in Canada, but not when it's minus 25. So I highly recommend that you do it, um, but in summertime uh, for sure. Now, obviously, uh, living in Whistler, I've got lots of Wonderful places to access close by there 's a a mountain called wedgemount uh, lake uh, well a mountain, the, the mountain is not called the uh, the lake, but it 's called wedge mountain and uh, and at the near the top it 's got a lake uh, and hence the wedge mount lake and it 's got a glacier that feeds into it. Unfortunately, this glacier has been uh, getting smaller and smaller, and each time that we go up uh, we we're, 're we're duly uh, saddened by how much uh, mass it 's lost. But the lake up there is beautiful. It's it's just uh, again uh, this one's an emerald green, uh, c- crowned by by mountains. The weather is fickle there, so it changes every few moments. You'll get in uh, some mist and clouds and rain and sun, uh, and it is a solid hike. It's about twelve hundred meters of elevation gain over seven kilometers, so fifteen kilometer round trip. Uh, hike to, to Wedgmont Lake, um, but it is worth it. Um, take into account that certain parts of the hike feel like you're going upstairs that are uneven routes to grab on. Um, but, mm, excuse me, it's been a long day with the kids on the beach. <laughs> but I highly, highly uh, would, if you're in the Sea to Sky, if you're in Whistler, this is a hike to do. Uh, That will leave you with a taste of Canada like a few other places. I've actually gone up on this hike with Mikio and my lady. So we were imagine that bringing up a a tiny, I think he was one, one and a half at the time. And then we camped up there for three or four nights uh, before heading on down. And on a second occasion, we actually went up with both of our little ones. One just a few months old. And then Mikio... About two years old there, and uh, two and a bit, two and a bit, um, and then we ended up staying five, four nights, five days. And what was really neat about that hike is that obviously it's very rare for anybody to bring a toddler twelve hundred meters up a mountain and camp, kind of mountaineering style uh, spots, but even more so for someone to do it with two kids. and uh, And it was quite special, and the memories that we created there are for a lifetime and we'll definitely go back. But now as the kids are getting, Mikio's getting bigger, he'll have to hike a big part of this, uh, trek on his own because for us to carry him would just not be possible. And on this trek, we actually had to camp halfway up the mountain, uh, well halfway, three quarters of the way up, uh, because the kids were just too exhausted and they didn't want to go anymore. And our rule of thumb, as I've mentioned before, is we just pitch the tent at that moment and, uh, and that's a way to get everybody safe, comfortable, kind of like we did on the Manicouagan Eye of Quebec uh, during the winter trip. And then in the morning, I took up a pack higher up, dropped the pack, and then came back down to grab more uh, to grab Mikio and then take him up because there's certain sections that uh, you definitely want to be sure-footed because you cannot drop your child in your pack or or fall while you're hiking up with him. The pack I use for that is the the. Thule sapling, uh, they've got a new version of it now, so that's that's really neat, but the Tule sapling is fantastic for, for carrying kids and particularly for adventures like this one. Um, I wanted to mention uh, sea kayaking trip on Desolation Sound. It's a multi-day trip for sure as well. Uh, this is something that I actually only experienced earlier uh, this summer, but I realized that while it's ocean, the tides are, are not too, uh, the tides are pretty big, but the waters are quite calm because the whole sound is protected. So so it, it's really pleasant and you've got uh, porpoises and uh, swimming around and seals frolicking about. And the camp spots are really well situated on islands uh, that leave for, for spectacular views. So this sea kayaking trip is one that I, I plan on guiding down the road. Uh, for other adventures, so hopefully you'll uh, you'll come on one of those. If you get on Instagram, our uh, our guiding company called is called Adventures Done Right. So hopefully you'll you'll get up uh, you'll check it out and uh, and see all the trips we've ca- we've got coming up. But definitely sea kayaking trip on Desolation Sound will be one uh, that we will want to do down the road as well. Tofino, British Columbia. Uh, another going over to uh, to our section of the world uh, is is definitely one of the easiest places to learn to surf in cold water because you 've got long sandy beaches you 've got nice rolling waves and you 've got nice rolling surf and the town of Tofino is picturesque uh, it 's rainforest so you 've got lush big giant trees old growth forests. And, uh, and fantastic beaches all around. You do get a lot of uh, rain and storms, but uh, but that's why some of the hotels there are known for storm watching. <laughs> and there's orcas swimming about. Uh, so, so a really neat uh, location uh, and definitely one of the most incredible places to go learn to surf in, in British Columbia. Also, I haven't had the opportunity yet. I've had my gear there, but it just didn't end up happening. But uh, you, under the right conditions, kite surfing at Chesterman Beach looks absolutely sublime. So each time I go back, I definitely I'll, I'll always bring my kite, whether that will happen or not. all depends on the, the, the God winds or the winds of gods. <laughs> whoever controls the winds uh, on whether that will be an opportunity. I probably I mentioned on one of my earlier podcasts the story of kayak camping in Georgian Bay. That was a, a unique and beautiful experience, albeit harrowing on that time, but also a trip that I'd highly recommend uh, for going to if you're going to be exploring eastern Canada. Now, if you go all the way east, Grossmoor National Park, really great area, rolling hills. We've sea kayaked in Bun Bay. And I'll never forget one of the times that we were kayaking back to the car on Bun Bay. We were dipping our paddles in the water and suddenly the paddles were turning electric blue with each stroke. And we started to yell, we're paddling in bioluminescence. This is so amazing. How wonderful. Uh, And it just it looks amazing. And so we even jumped in in our dry suits in the water when we had gotten back and just moved the water all about us. And uh, and it turned electric blue. I also had that happen on my recent summer trip uh, to Desolation Sound. And it was pouring rain that night where I decided to camp and I jumped in the water with my drive suit and I just moved my arms about. And now capturing the the phosphorescence or uh, the bioluminescence on camera when you're doing that, it's really quite tricky. Like you can't put a GoPro in the water uh, because it's just it doesn't get in enough light for it to see it all. Um, so it's one of those things that sometimes you got to forget about the cameras and just enjoy it. And so I just floated there in the water. It, It was pouring rain. So there was no point in my taking off my dry suit, uh, because I was just going to get damp and wet. So, uh, so I was just hanging out with, uh, with my, with my dry suit on outside while I was preparing camp. And when I saw that the bioluminescence started, I went for a swim and it was surreal um, at all and made even more magical being on my own there with nobody else around and nobody knowing where I was. Uh, so that's definitely a neat experience. Actually on that same trip, I'm sitting on one of my cases and I'm just, just pondering the rain. And, and, uh, I think I was drinking some coffee as well, which I always travel with a good hot thermos of coffee. And, uh, and I turn around and I see two beady eyes staring at me, glowing orange, yellowish. And they're only about I'd say a meter and a half behind me. <laughs> and at the height they were, I thought, wolves. I got wolves, really? <laughs> wolves now? It's late at night, I'm exhausted, I'm in my drive suit, and this is what I have to deal with. And I'd and I'd been so quiet and silent sitting there for a while that they had gotten really close. And I turned around, and when I turned my light onto them, it was actually deer. So, uh, so I was happy because wolves wouldn't have been so fun. And so I'll end this, uh, this podcast uh, tonight with just telling you a few of my favorite unique hotels uh, to go on adventures uh, in Canada. One, uh, I think I've spoken to you on the last podcast, which was the Tundra Buggy Lodge. It's very rare to be able to be up close and personal with polar bears uh, to see them sparring, to see them uh, playing with their cubs uh, and to see them in such close proximity. The bears come up against these uh, buggies that are, in essence, train cars with giant wheels and they can put their paws up and be standing 10 feet tall and you feel like you only have them two, three feet uh, away from you if they were to swipe you almost feel they could reach you. And so that's definitely one of the, one of the unique uh, hotels that I would recommend staying in. Quite pricey, I think right now, as I had mentioned yesterday, it's uh, $8,000 per person for a three-night uh, stay on the Tundra Buggy. And that includes two nights in Winnipeg, one on each side um, when you're flying there. Um, we got it sponsored some time ago, so that's okay. Um, House on the Magdalen Islands, if we go... Excuse me, a little bit to the East Coast. These beautiful, beautiful islands to kite surf from. Picturesque orange, yellow, brown, uh, blue houses. I mentioned it before. My brother felt like he could buy one after he was there uh, just on a quick trip. Uh, definitely uh, a unique place to explore. I use the word definitely a lot. We'll have to change that. I've noticed that on my podcast, I'll grab onto a word and repeat it more frequently. So... So I'll have to find a trick not to do that too often. Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge. We stayed there last summer. They hosted us uh, for, I think it was four days. And with carte blanche, all you can eat. Now, this type of remote lodge uh, tends to have spectacular uh, restaurants. And uh, and I'm a big believer in a lot of the remote lodges uh, making food a principal part of their experience. Because... When you have good food in the wild, everything feels better. If you have crappy food in the wild, everything feels a lot worse. So staying at the Jasper Park Lodge um, was definitely one of the most unique experiences when it came to the culinary delights of having Wagyu beef for lunch, uh, followed by uh, tartar of duck, and then finished off with uh, caviar and... and delicious sumptuous wines so one of the the neat things about this lodge is that it's located in Jasper on the ed- outskirts of Jasper National Park so you can head over to places like Maline Lake uh, and take that ferry boat that I recommended or you can go to the Johnston Canyon or you can go uh, to the Jas- Jasper town or you can simply stay at the lodge and use any of their canoes and kayaks as you wish to head out on their What is, in essence, a private lake? Um, And then the last one that I would say is uh, something quite interesting is to stay on a floating house in the Northwest Territories. Now, this is a concept where people build houses on giant barges, and then they put them out to float in the bay of what's called Great Slave Lake. And these houses are, sure, more often than not, rustic cabins, but they're completely self-supported and unique in that you have to canoe out or paddle out from the parking lot in Yellowknife to get to the house. And it's something quite special to be looking at the northern lights while you're on a house that's floating out in the middle of a bay. And especially if you have a very, very calm night and the northern lights are reflecting on the water, then, uh, then you can have an experience of a lifetime. Well, I hope everyone has had a very nice and merry Christmas and enjoyed my part one and part two of Canada's most incredible adventures uh, to do. And for sure, there are many, many more that I'll be sharing about. But I thought this would be a good recap of some of my favorites. Uh, If any of you are ever interested in going on any of these adventures, uh, do take note that we are now guiding people all over the world And uh, hopefully that you'll join us. Africa is up next, uh, headed there from the uh, 3rd of February to the uh, 12th of February. Tanzania will be doing the hike to Kilimanjaro and then an African safari. And April 6th to 23rd, we'll be in Iceland once again doing uh, activities that uh, you most definitely wouldn't be doing uh, were you not coming with us. Because I bring the type of equipment to do to push limits of our guests that they otherwise wouldn't. Like dry suits to be able to swim uh, around glacial uh, lagoons and whatnot. Um, so there you go. Uh, and then and then in summertime, we've got some fantastic trips uh, closer to home headed to Go explore waterfalls, uh, whitewater rafting. Uh, z- we'll be zip lining. We've got a heli bike trip uh, coming up as well. So any of these wild adventures, don't uh, don't hesitate to reach out. And I'll let you get back to your Christmas Eve. Um, looking forward to having a, a new 2022 of podcasting. And uh, thank you all for listening. Really appreciate. Uh, those that come live and those that listen afterwards. And uh, all the best to you this evening. Expeditioner out. Bye-bye.